0: Hi, it's Mike from First Issue Club, and before we get this episode started, I wanted to caveat with the fact that we recorded this before we got the news that Diamond was stopping distribution of comic books starting on April 1st. We did record a bonus episode all about that, where we overreact and worry way too much about what that means for the comic book industry. We released that on Monday, but uh, keep that in mind as you listen to this new episode of First Issue Club. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the First Issue Club. If you didn't know, we are your weekly source for what's new with First Issue Comics, and we're doing it from our own homes. Yes, that's right, me, Mike D., the Budget King. Greg and Caitlin are each recording from our own quarantined locations. Uh say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hey. <laughs> Cheeky Greg. What's up? Even Thank in you. isolation, you still got some jokes.
1: Well, I haven't seen another human in about three weeks, so I have to get my <laughs> shots in. <laughs>
2: that's gonna be that's gonna be actual reality for you in three weeks, though.
1: I doubt it. I will probably still be going to my job. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Greg's job is holding out on uh, letting people work from home, which is like blowing all of our minds.
2: Yeah.
1: When the people you work with call the coronavirus the common flu, you kind of know what you're in for.
2: Oh, boy. Literally, it's it's Greg, grocery workers and quick trips.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They sent an email out today, like the president did. He was just like, all right, ladies and gentlemen. Take off your ties. It's time to get serious. So we get to wear fun human clothes to work this week. Lucky
0: you. That'll help. I'm going to be Wait, a denim yeah. boy. I, I, I heard
2: about that to some other place where they're just like, oh, you can wear jeans. And it's like, no, jeans does not prevent 70-year-olds from fucking dying. Yeah. W- what the fuck is that? It that's is crazy. It is, is literally that's, that's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Only a naive old person <laughs> would think that that is a legitimate thing to do that that is the reason when we when three months from now we are <laughs> fucked it's going to be people like your employer who, who are just like why well, didn't know
1: <laughs> yeah or they'll be
2: on their deathbed it, it it makes me irate i'm mad i want i want your i want to say your place of business on this podcast so they can get tweeted
1: at <laughs> it. i know
0: i'm i'm mad for you yeah well uh, Only so much we can do. Every
1: day I I drive into work with gardening gloves and Lysol. I'll
0: I'll say we've got some fun comic books to lift our spirits. I uh, braved the comic book shop experience against my better judgment today. And I have my precious collection intact. We're going to talk about Spider-Woman. Out on Marvel and a book from the the All Red family, uh, X Ray Robot out on Dark Horse. But before we get into those, I know there's a lot of COVID comic news and some uh, less grim news that I've been seeing over the last few days. Did anything uh, stick out to you guys or strike you guys as worthy of discussion? Yeah, I think that it's interesting that a lot of publishers are reaching out to
2: retailers in this time um, and offering all kinds of things as like returnability. They're going to like reduce their reprints. They Some images even offering like marketing help for their mail. And then also they're going to talk to Diamond and try to like redu- make them have delayed payments. There's this huge reach out from especially indie publishers to like help out retailers.
1: Well, not only does that benefit the retailers, but it also helps the publishers kind of recoup some losses as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's their whole bread and butter too. So it's definitely benefits them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's cool because there could be the total, you know, it could be a total total capitalist movement and be like, hey, sorry, no discounts. It is what it is. You need to sell what you can in this time of need. So I get it. It's cool. I don't know how long comic book shops are going to remain open during all this, but uh, in these times of uncertainty, it's nice to see that some people are using their heads for uh, for good.
0: Well, we found out today when Budget King went to the comic book shop that he and I both go to that they closed early. Was that virus related? I'm assuming it was. Yeah. It, 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 there's reduced hours during this period of time.
1: You know, honestly, comic book shops don't even need to be open except for Wednesday.
2: To me, in some ways, it's kind of like buying comic books is an archaic practice or form and uh they the market is going to correct <laughs> during this period of time like it, and, and i'm not saying that they're going to go away but it's like the way that they're like purchased and promoted and stuff is really like you have to be so in it and in the know to get these really awesome things that i hope that there is a little bit of a revolution that like happens here like we even just said like why does an image have an unlimited subscription service like that's kind of a no-duh, right?
0: Scenario, right? Like it's it's the the comic book shop is essentially like picking up takeout, right? And that's one of the reasons I felt like comfortable going to my shop today. That uh, I washed my hands, went into my comic shop, picked up my comics, and I left. There's no reason for that to change, and I love the exchange with the people in the store, but why can't there be a, better systems in place online to manage your pull lists and a better system in place online to see the covers when you're looking at like pre-orders and checking them off on a list and picking them up in your comic book shop um, instead of having to dig through the weeds and diamond and uh, submit a string of numbers to your comic book shop owner to get the books that you want or shop online and have to pay for shipping and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like that definitely seems like something I should be able to manage from home. And maybe we're going to figure that out now that we're all going to be at home for the next uh, few few months, hopefully just, just that.
1: So are you guys suggesting that like digital sales really just skyrocket from here and really don't look back?
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I hope that's not just the the only change because I definitely want like my physical comic books. Right. But I'm thinking like maybe there's a way that like they get unanimously published or publicized beforehand, and there's like you know big releases and uh, that they feel like movie esque in some ways. Um, that there's just not just like hordes of like comics like buried and stuff like it, for the average person to go buy comic books. It's a really difficult experience. We've said that like millions and millions of times on this podcast.
0: Yeah. Which which books are um, a first-time creator and, and which books are from a creator that I love and I want everything that they make? You know, a lot of times on these weird lists, you can't even tell who's involved or <laughs> or why you would want something, right? So it's really hard for these people to sell comics before orders get put in. And we don't know whether we want them or not. And I can tell you all, all the time I have books that I'm like, oh, man, I find out two weeks before they come out, and I'm like, hell, yeah, that sounds awesome. I want that. And then it's a really small print run because no one ordered it, and you can't find it anywhere locally, and you have to buy it on eBay from some guy. No fun. Authors would like to fix that. Publishers would like to fix that. Everybody would. Somebody needs to build the
2: build-your-own-burrito of a Wednesday pickup app uh-huh. so it's like like you know like in Chipotle like, I know exactly how much it's going to cost when I add pinto beans you know and I know and I can go there and the in, instantaneously when I walk into Chipotle I can leave and I think that the comic book shop that figures out how to do that is going to set the gold standard for comic books and help all these publishers and frankly help other retailers like keep the comic book industry around it's been people like us who just who answer to their system of the weirdness of like blank ass emails just showing you what it is that they're going to have and you have to read through text and then you have to google each one of those things to be like do I want that I don't even know the price of the variant I hope they're going to have this variant I have no way of securing it yeah. like it, if, it is yeah. if
0: these places handled promotion right and the these were more accessible you would see like hollywood reporter Writing about a new independent comic book that's coming yeah. out, and in that article, linking to the place where you go check the box that says, "I want this, and your order just gets put in should be as easy as
2: that. And I think like even like like the beer industry has figured this out, you know like when when there's a, when there's a new beer that's going to come to market before it comes to market. It does sampling in all your liquor stores. You get tons of free swag for it. Like, you know about it years in advance before they give you one beer, one flagship beer. And then they give you a couple more. When there's a new publisher that comes out, like came out like this week, AWA, um, there's six like books that drop that you've never heard of any of it. And there's little to no promotion, except for that, you know, that they're just a bunch of like number ones. I'm not knocking it. I think that is really awesome in its own right, but it's also not sustainable. So, I mean, normally we were like super goofy on this like front end, but I think that like it, it I looked at a list today of like positive things that are going to happen at the end of all of this. And I think for me, like, one positive thing is that, like, maybe some, like, arcane business models that needed to change are going to change. Does that mean I want, like, retailers to go out of business, comic book retailers? No. And I don't want anybody's local comic book shop that they, like, love and find, you know, solace in and and, in a community and to go away. But... Do I want more people to be buying comic books and, like, be way into it? I want it to be the dominant form of nerddom. Nerd-um. I want indie comic books to be so popular that, like, everybody's cosplaying them. And the only way that's going to happen is if they change the distribution and buying network. So you want
1: to see a gut ghost cosplay at this year's Planet Comic Con?
2: <laughs> I want to see a gut ghost. I want to see Five Eye Zombies. <laughs> I, you know... To be all to be honest, oh, see a gut ghost cosplay would be fucking rad. It would, yeah, it totally would.
1: Yeah, um, you guys mentioned AWA earlier. Um, who are they? I, I don't even know who they are.
3: I know we get their lo- newsletter. <laughs> That's about it. And then they had a bunch of number ones.
0: Yeah, so they're uh, an old editor in chief of, um, Marvel started his own publisher and is bringing over a lot of creators that have worked, still work on Marvel, and they're doing their own creator-owned comics on this new publisher.
2: And I think AWA stands for Artists, Writers, and Artisans.
0: Yeah, that's right. I read two of their books today. Red Border is kind of like a get-out sort of book on the Mexico-Texas border. And then the next book was called The Resistance, which was chilling to read because it's about a global pandemic that kills hundreds of millions of people. Uh, What you find is that it leaves like 95% of people who contract the virus dead. And then the 5% that survive, or at least some of the survivors, end up with superhuman powers.
2: Yeah, and A- and AWA has some really cool like partners. I know Frank Cho and Garth Ennis are involved with it. Su-
0: yeah, Benjamin J- Benjamin Percy. Oh, okay, cool. Who's writing Wolverine right now? Yeah. Fight Girls. You might if you follow F- Frank Cho on uh, Instagram. His he's been drawing Fight Girls for the past like year or so. Oh, I just assumed it was gonna be Image. Ten women face off in an ancient contest to get title Queen of the Galaxy. That book's going to be a lot of fun. There's an Alice Cott book coming out, Margaret Stoll, Cullen Bunn.
2: The guy that wrote uh, House Party, the movie.
0: Oh, yeah?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do we know what his
2: book is about? I don't know, no. But, he, you know, he'll have a comic. Yeah, and, and one of their, like goals it says to fix our profoundly broken industry well there you go well you can't argue with that <laughs> that's bold so i mean i like i like the endeavor i just i think that i think that therein lies the problem everybody knows it's broken but nobody is really trying something too like to to the source of like the, the source is not creativity and comic books man we have that in in spades it's the shops the read the the buying of the 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 actual process of buying comic books is
0: completely broken
1: yeah and it's gonna take a pandemic to fix it
0: (laughs) all right what do you guys think we ready to get this podcast started first book we are talking about today is Spider-Woman that is written by Carla Pacheco. Caitlin, tell us what this book was about.
3: We find Jessica Drew and she has fallen on harder times and she's in need of some quick cash to support her son and her babysitter slash boyfriend. Seemed like they were together, but I wasn't sure. Yes, they are. Okay. She accepts a security job for a billionaire's daughter's birthday party, which she is loving doing. But um, the plot thickens when this party is attacked by some heavy-duty kidnappers. And then the plot thickens even more when we're kind of transported a few weeks earlier. And we get a glimpse at a mastermind-type character who's been spamming her email to get her into some new and modified threads. That's kind of where we relate where we leave her at the end of this first issue.
0: I'm going to start off by saying I'm a huge Spider-Woman fan. Most recently, and I think the 5th and 6th volumes of Spider-Woman Dennis Hopeless wrote the story and I loved those last two runs. You get a lot of insight into her daily life while she's not a superhero, and to have her be pregnant and have a kid during some of those stories was so opposite of what you just typically expect from these Marvel superhero titles that you've got this, you know, pregnant woman who's just trying to get groceries and get shit done in her life. So awesome, refreshing change there. I was really worried because I don't know if you guys have heard of. Carla Pacheco, but a quick Google search and you'll find that she really hasn't written too many comics for Marvel or or otherwise. And I was like, oh no, they're handing over this really important character to me that I've grown to love so much to someone who I can't look to their, their past history and say like, oh they handled this or that really well. How do you think she did with bringing Jessica Drew to life in this first issue?
1: I thought it was awesome. I thought she did a great job. She really you know, captured the tone of who Spider Woman is and um had some humor in there and some action and some intrigue. So I thought it went really well.
0: Personally, I think so too. I think Spider Woman was a little more callous than we're used to seeing. She's always been a character that has a lot of snark. But you kind of see her going off the rails a little bit at the front of this, which was uh again Something I was not expecting from a Marvel comic to see our hero uh like throwing rich kids around. I mean she's like full on bullying this uh <laughs> like spoiled brat kid that's being an asshole to her, and she he she throws him into the bad guys at some point. do you think
1: that is a part of what she's experiencing with the new suit though
0: that it's some sort of alien symbiote sort of Peter Parker thing.
1: Well, kind of, because she said she was experiencing, like, headaches the entire time she was on that boat. Yeah.
3: Well, and the suit's vitals, when she puts it on, can monitor all sorts of things. Yeah. So maybe they can mess with it just as well as monitor.
0: Yeah, maybe she's losing inhibitions here a little bit.
1: Yeah, maybe they turned the snark to 11 on the suit by accident, and she got a little more schmarmy. Yeah.
3: I think, too, though, I mean, when you look at what's going on in her personal life, I don't know that she needs a suit to be that grumpy. Like, she is constantly needing to scrounge for money um she does have a, a partner in raising her son but like she just seems worn down yeah much less likely to give to give two shits about this Deadpool kid saying sexist stuff <laughs> and <laughs>
1: It was nice to see that superheroes also overdraft their uh bank accounts so I didn't feel too alone <laughs> in that
0: So this ties back to some Spider-Woman origins as well because she started as a down on her luck woman who was in a grocery store, uh, contemplating stealing food, and I, 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 think I can tell that uh, Carla Pacheco is is probably a really big Spider Woman fan herself because she seems like she's drawing a lot of parallels to the actual origins of the character, which we forget a lot of times.
2: Yeah. So I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that. Spider Woman took herself not as seriously as much as Peter Parker does. Um, I kind of just had like a loose understanding of Spider Woman. Yeah. So to dive into this and like realize like, oh wait, this is like uh, kind of an even better re upped version of Peter Parker's like take on what it means to be a superhero. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, I kinda love this. <laughs> well, it's almost as like it's like
1: Jessica Jones got the powers of Spider Man.
3: Yeah that's that's how this issue I don't know that it's been that the same way in other issues, but it she definitely seems more grizzled
0: yeah she she's very much so a a Jen Walter's type of character um
1: totally great comparison,
0: yeah, really quirky, really strong and independent, but at the same time is constantly going through some shit and has to battle her own demons and pick up her pants and kick some ass every once in a while and power through it. So uh we're we're certainly honoring the character and and staying with those things we love about Jessica Drew.
2: And so we didn't say this but the the billionaire like yacht party that she's essentially like protecting or whatever.
3: Yeah.
0: The
2: the theme is that they're dressing up like superheroes. Yeah, right. It was so poignant cuz it like it it was able to like make fun of Marvel inside of this like comic book it like totally made fun of deadpool and the type of person that would like dress up like deadpool you know it it just was like man this comic book i love a good self-aware comic book Mm -hmm. but especially a big two self-aware comic book
0: yep i also love that she's they're making some commentary on what list or tier of superhero she is because you've got people at a a yacht party dressed up like glob and still they've (laughs) got kids coming up to her and being like what are you supposed to be (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, "I'm the spider Woman at your stupid party. <laughs> I'm a real life superhero, which you guys are dressing up as right now. Another thing that just like makes this story so good is the main
2: character or not the main the character that she's protecting is paralyzed from the legs down. Yeah, right. So like it makes it's like makes this like other level of like intrigue it just is like this comic book could have gone so many different ways.
0: And it, it yeah. truly like was just really creative. Yeah. I love the snark of that girl when they're kidnapping her and they're like, shimmy up the rope to the helicopter. Cause we're taking you. And she's like, my legs don't work. Dumbass. Like do, <laughs> do your, she, she was like, do your damn research before you try to kidnap a girl. <laughs> Did you guys feel like there was, like, shit tons of action in this?
1: Oh, yeah. She throws a fucking helicopter into the ground with, like, uh, <laughs> the anchor of the boat.
0: I mean, she's, like, killing goons left and right. <laughs> with, like, reckless abandon, she's, like, killing these bad it, guys. It, it felt like Rush Hour. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Fast Than Furious or something like that mixed with, like, a comedy with Pet Detective. <laughs> yeah. I have a confession to make, uh, and it's that I've bought, I think, seven covers Holy of this comic. Holy
1: shit. That's awesome. <laughs> there was
0: a lot of good covers. The, the th- 22 covers. 22? What, what oh, do you guys think about that? They went that hard. this was like the flagship book that like this week? Not to say that there's one every single week, but every once in a while when Marvel has a new series come out with like, their flagship characters, like they did this with Fantastic Four, uh, like eight, nine months ago when that series kicked off at number one again. Um, and there were tons and tons of of covers for it, and you got like a little giveaway, like a lithograph or a a pin or something. This got the exact same treatment as some of those other high profile books got, which I love to see as a fan of this character, but it kind of surprised me because I've never traditionally thought of this character as um, someone who would get that treatment.
1: Yeah, it makes you wonder what they have in store for her. They don't typically do this to characters they're just kind of like half invested in, you know?
0: Agree, yeah. I, I, I think that they, it seems to me like they have something in store for her, but at the same time, I would think that they would have potentially given this book to, like, one of the huge names at Marvel right now, like Al Ewing or Donnie Cates, if they were going to do something, like, really major with it.
1: That may be true, but maybe this writer just blew them away with the pitch and just really captured the tone perfectly, and they're just like, hey, you you got it. Take it.
0: Yeah. She did that... um, Fearless series, I think. Oh, then, okay, yep. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Which was a very, like, female empowerment superhero. Yes. um, Sort of series with... You you may know best from its gorgeous covers.
1: By Ginny Frizen.
0: Yes, exactly right. In some ways, like, this being 21 covers,
2: I'm kind of just like... Man, Marvel can kind of just do that whenever they want. Like, I don't really... Even if this book ties into something big, it's definitely not as big as a Fantastic Four series. Uh-huh. You know, like, it's they went hard on it just because it was like, ah, oh, we got a light week. We're, I mean, it's really cool. And honestly, the A cover was my favorite cover. It was astounding. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, did you see the the B is the exact same as the A cover, but with a different costume? Yes,
2: I did. Yeah, that's so
0: cool. Yeah, pretty rad. And and I think that they also know
2: that like the, it fuels the spec market to like have a bunch of like random covers like that. And yes. Stuff. You know. In in some ways, it's kind of just like, oh, that's just Marvel just does that when they want to do that now. And they were, they probably right. just looked on a calendar and said, yeah, Spider Woman's probably our biggest book for that week, and we haven't really done the full like nuclear bomb on a cover for like a couple weeks around it. Let's just do it on Spider Woman. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. Sure. It worked on me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they definitely have a formula in it it's, it works this comic book was great though i mean as far as like you if you want to jump in on an action spider e comic it was like ins almost insane how good it was
1: yeah i mean it had something for everybody it had action it had humor it had blob it had french terrorists trying to abduct a billionaire's daughter like yeah the night nurse was teased like this hit everything that I wanted in
2: a comic book. Even though she announces that, they're like, do you need a doctor? And she's like, no, I need a
1: nurse.
2: <laughs> like every Marvel hit, just like,
1: oh shit. <laughs>
0: All right, next up on the docket is an offering from the Allred couple, Michael and Laura, out on, who published this? Dark Horse Comics. It is one of four, and actually takes place in the Madmaniverse. Caitlin, do you have a synopsis for X-Ray Robot, number
3: one? I sure do. And I didn't actually know that it was in the Man universe but that makes sense, and... It also makes me sad that it's a 104. <laughs> I really I know. just want more of that. But this is Max. He's a family man, and he is of an interdimensional travel. So he is a scientist. But instead, he throws himself into a Twilight Zone level experience where he not only meets his alternate timeline but he meets a 277-year-old robot version of himself, or just himself, and this robot self tells him about no big deal but the impending end of the world and how he needs their help, and that's sort of where Max finds himself very, very quickly.
0: This reminded me a bit of Umbrella Academy in the way that you've got a single character who's jumped into the future and knows that doomsday is coming and now you're jumping back into the present day to get your crew together to figure out how to fix it before that actually happens
3: that's a good call
2: yeah agreed just so i don't want to sound patronizing but you guys said madmaniverse and i just wanted to clarify that if you don't know mike allred is is super stylized and knows a bunch and does a bunch of things that he's known for one of them is a series called madman yes and this this fits within that. He also did um, X-Statics, which was like a Marvel book, super stylized, and he does the art for Eye Zombie, maybe most iconically. Yes, I, I think if you know that he did Dupe and you know who Dupe is, which is just Slimer, that's a mutant, um, <laughs> <laughs> then the like, camera, he, right? Then then yeah. then Mike Allred like makes a lot of sense to you.
1: He's like a more serious Pee-wee's playhouse and he just has like a, a funny sensibility about him.
2: It also is like awkward. Like it, 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 it holds you in this like weird state of like, so for instance, the, this comic book starts off with like essentially sexual harassment and the way that the person who's getting sexually harassed, like triumphs over it is that she goes and beats the shit out of the guy and then makes her put him on the robot team and they get a bunch of funding. And and it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's
3: like a serialized soap opera in comic book form with all these weird, like ro- with robots and <laughs> with monsters, like that kind of stuff. And
2: I know that, I know you guys are fans of, of iZombie. I didn't like the show because it lost that from me. Like it was a really good show just stand alone but it lost like this just like weirdness of it that that mark mark mike allred like really captured in the comic books.
1: i think you have to interpret the show and the comic book as two different visions the the show like you said was great in its own right because it found a following and a calling with like a a different way to you know tell the story through that medium that i think may have divulged from the comic quite a bit because in the comic book there was like vampires and werewolves and like it got into like way crazier stuff but the show uh really did some fun things with her seeing visions and stuff when she ate people's brains yeah which I thought was cool
2: the show was like an update to Buffy like what Buffy was oh for sure I felt like so the show the show wasn't bad it just like I think it's hard to capture Mike Allred in in show form he he just he's a master of knowing comic books and how what they can do for him.
0: Yes, agreed. The funny thing is is that a lot of this conversation surrounding this book is making us take a look back at his career and kind of critique it amongst the other things he's done, just because he's got such a consistent canon and style with yes. everything that he does.
3: Can you imagine? Uh, A scientist, like a robotics team comes up with a being that can do this and it's Pepto-Bismol Pink. Like, can you, like, who else does that? Who else makes those choices that bring you just out of reality enough to be a little off kilter? It's just fantastic.
2: Yeah, I'm not even sure I completely understand what he's seeing when he's in the robot. I just know it's like otherworldly and it's affecting him a lot. And that's kind of all you need to know because it's more about the journey than it is like the sci-fi aspect of it. Right. And I think I think one of the reasons, I think the reason we're talking about Mike Allred so much is because one, there was a ton of number ones that came out this week. There was like this crazy assassin book. There was like some other look cool looking sci-fi book, but we went with the Mike Allred book because he's a name and the the best thing you can say about this book is, yep, it was a Mike Allred book, like in the best way. That's not a diss, that's like totally a compliment.
0: I was gonna say, do you also feel like that if you're a Mike Allred fan, you love it. And if it's not your if one comic isn't your cup of tea, then you're probably not gonna like any other Mike Allred thing? So I I don't
2: I don't think so and and I'll couch that in saying that I'm a fan of his. But I think that, like, he captures escapism of comic books in a way that, like, seldom other people really do. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, I think that there is critiques of, like, people don't like that his stuff is not hyper real, I guess. Um, But that's not, I've never, never been drawn to, like, hyper real comic books. That's not really what I'm, like, after and so, like, if that's the criticism, I think fine. But, like, even this, like, journey, although it was, like, kind of weird to figure out, like, what exactly is happening when he's going into the robot body, like, it it doesn't matter if you get lost there. And that's the beauty of the Mike, the Mike Allred universes is that it's, like, it's more about, like, relationships and, like, people and marriages being weird and and working with people being fucking weird and just being a human being a scientist is a weird job you know like that's, that's what that's what it's about
3: i would agree and i also think um like i was i was reading a little bit more about what the, the this whole like cataclysmic event is going to be and it's going to get even weirder <laughs> like they're going to this this big bad this villain i guess is called the nihilist so it's just going to be even even more wacky, and I I feel like you you touched on it pretty well as escapism in a very pure form. Well, I think it's great
1: because Mike Allred has a great way of just like combining pop art and mod, and leave it to Beaver and Stepford Wives, and just putting them all in a blender and just
0: really fucking with your brain
3: and put them in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> we'll make it a soap opera.
0: <laughs> yeah, he does certain things with characters that I think just because of the aesthetic he's built and the attitude that the stories are coming at you that he can do that and they don't seem corny but uh when other creators do them they're easily corny like here you've got characters with just like logos on their chests and shit like that yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) you think like oh who does that anymore that's like so campy and over the top but yeah it's just the right amount of on the nose here
1: <laughs> uh, a quick note before we say goodbye Planet Comic Con yep. has been rescheduled for August 14th Correct. through 16th so uh, our panel is still valid so if you guys want to come see us at Planet Comic Con we will be there from August 14th through 16th
0: love it thanks everybody bye see ya.
3: This has been another episode of First Issue Club. We are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Our music is provided by Primary Color Music. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. You can find us, rate us, friend, and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, and your favorite listening platforms at First Issue Club, F-I-R-S-T.